We usually hear about milestones every week, and some are more noteworthy than others. But this past week, we had four major milestones accomplished by four Hockey Hall of Fame-worthy legends. We break them down in our main topic. Plus, a couple of All-Stars get in trouble, and Boston slides while Ottawa improves. Episode 163 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go any further, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. All right, question 51. Here we go. Despite scoring in more games than any other player during the eight-game 1972 Summit Series, basically Canada's Miracle on Ice, this individual is not in the Hall of Fame. Who is he? Is it A, Alexander Yakushev of the USSR, B, Dennis Hall of Canada, C, Paul Henderson of Canada, or D, Vladimir Petrov of the USSR? How would I ever know this? <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, Alex Petrov because that's the only one I remember. <laughs> This is probably the crying shame for Canadian hockey is that Paul Henderson is oh. somehow not in the Hall of Fame. The guy scored the goal oh, wow. to win the Summit Series, and he's not in the Hall of Fame even as a builder. It's the biggest crime in Canadian sports. I have no idea how it hasn't been ramified. They need to get this guy in. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah, well, ask Don Cherry. He's just as passionate. In fact, he's probably been one of the most vocal about it. I know, I'm kidding. Um, is Michael Ruzioni in the Hall of Fame? I don't think he is. Oh, I don't, I don't know. If he's not, they should also get him in because he, he was right. a big part of that uh, Miracle on Ice team. Well, no, I know. He was the captain. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, I've been looking here quickly. Yeah, I don't think he was because he didn't even play in for the any. He didn't even play in the NHL. Mm. So, 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 uh, so just to take a look at uh, Paul Henderson's uh, professional stats in in the NHL, he played in seven hundred and seven games, recorded two hundred and thirty six goals and four hundred and seventy seven points. He then went to the WHA, where teams like the Oilers played before they merged with the NHL, played 360 games there, and recorded 140 goals and 283 points. So, doesn't even have 1,000 points. So, I guess maybe you can make the case so he doesn't have the track record as some of the other All-Stars do, but... Again, even as a builder, he's not in the Hall of Fame. It makes no sense to me. So Mike Ruzioni is in the Toledo Hockey Hall of Fame and the Boston <laughs> University Hall of Fame, but he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, be it, it would be quite fitting if they both went in the same year, but yep. uh, I think they only put in one builder per year, so I don't think that's going to happen. But they should both be in. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see here. Like it's it's not NHL Hall of Fame; it's Hockey Hall of Fame. Right, right, right. 
Like, Shreddy um, didn't even play in the NHL, and I'm pretty sure he's in there. Um, well, it says, okay, well, Wikipedia says he's in, he's a member of several Hall of Fames. Mm-hmm. So I don't, but it doesn't say specifically that he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. No. So I don't know. Um, I imagine it's because he never played an NHL game, but yeah, he could definitely get in as a builder, uh, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, anyways, we spent a little bit too much time on that, um, <laughs> but that, that's okay, because it is... If it increases my hockey knowledge, then uh, that's that's okay. Um, it increases your hockey knowledge, too, uh, people who are listening. Um, anyway, so uh, speaking of these, we're going to be talking about players who are definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame when it's time. Um, but uh, this past week, as Steve mentioned um, to start the show, we... Uh, we have four big milestones from four future Hall of Famers. Um, Evgeny Malkin gets his 1,000th point um, against Washington. Um, and then in that same game, Alex Ovechkin get his, gets his 1,000th and 200th point um, in Pittsburgh, uh, against Pittsburgh. Um, and then a few weeks before, a few days before, uh, Crosby get also gets his 1,200th point in Florida against Florida, um, and then in a separate game entirely, uh, Carey Price becomes the winningest Habs goalie with 315 wins, um, which is very impressive when you consider how historic, uh, you know, the Habs franchise has been um, forever. Um, uh, but yeah, he uh, he surpassed uh, Jockis Plant um, in the in the record books. Um, so you have a bit a bit of information on all these guys um, and and how historic it was. Mm-hmm. So I, I figure we should go at it one by one. Yep. So we'll, sure. we'll, we'll get we'll get Crosby's out of the way because it's probably the most uh, it's probably the quickest to get through. Sure. Um, but but I kind of find it interesting how everyone's talking about uh connor mcdavid you know all three straight 100 point seasons that's incredible and johnny hockey six points in a game incredible matt kachuk five points in the next game incredible but i i find that when we talk about those players before like they've turned 25 and and they pull off a crosby type move everyone just loses their minds because it's in my opinion it's for one simple reason why people lose their minds like that it's that they've seen Crosby do that move enough where they're just like ah vintage Crosby who cares and then Johnny Hockey does and just like oh my god did you see that move from Johnny Gaudreau I get like that's incredible because Sid the Kid is so automatic and he's done it for so many years we kind of almost forgotten oh yeah we still have Sidney Crosby to watch play like in four of his first five NHL seasons, Sid the Kid had at least a hundred points. And the only other year that he's done it since is 2013-2014. And this year on pace for 105, so he's probably gonna break a hundred this year. So fifth time in his career he would do that. Um it, at the same time though, Crosby has been consistently good. He's posted at least 84 points in five straight years, career-high 44 goals a couple of seasons ago. Uh, That year they won the Cup in 2016-17. 
nothing like the 29 power play goals and 108 power play points that he got in his first two years. But to this day, Crosby has 32 four-point games. That's the most out of all active NHL players right now. And it would be wrong to say he's on Gretzky's level because Gretzky had 217 career four-point games over the course of his NHL career. But when it comes to popularity, Sidney Crosby is the face that comes to mind for a lot of people who don't really follow the NHL or the sport of hockey. And Mark Cuban is a perfect example of that, the owner of the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. He says he could not name the player the best player in the league if it wasn't Sidney Crosby. And that just goes to show you how much of a marketing appeal this kid still has in his 30s. An NBA owner that doesn't follow the NHL still knows of Sidney Crosby. But when it comes to personal achievements, I'm interested to know what Crosby thinks is his personal favorite because he's won three cups. He scored the golden goal at Vancouver 2010. Brett, of course, knows that. Um, Like this kid has just done it all. It's yeah. another layer of cherries to that beautiful Black Forest cake, and it's another benchmark for the pinnacle of greatness. He continues to raise the bar for anyone that wants to be like him. And I just want to know what he wants to be remembered for, whether it's something he did on the ice or off the ice, because he's he's got everything. What do you give a guy that has everything? I don't know. You, I mean, you give him a Hall of Fame thing? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, like, you what, give him what a cake. It's, it's like 1,200 yeah. points. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that is a good point that you mentioned because, like, uh, whenever Johnny Gaudreau does something amazing, McDavid does something amazing, or um, Kucherov, any of these young players now, uh, Matthews, Line, um, you know, they're always the talk of the town. But then for guys like Crosby, Ovechkin, and Malkin, it's kind of just like a second nature to them. It's like, oh yeah, we expect them to be making plays every single time because they've been doing it for about a decade um, and all that stuff. I remember back when, and like I think it was when Crosby's rookie year, his second year, I remember just watching Penguins games just because I wanted to see what Crosby would do with the puck. And I, I've never really felt that same way about other players before, but I think that's... I, I don't watch any more Penguins games anymore, but um, I think there there is that idea of, like, just because these are, like, I already know what to expect from Crosby. I already know what to expect from Ovechkin that I'm not, like, going to tune into their games every, um, every now and then because um, I already know that they're going to do something amazing. You know, it's kind of like, a, I don't know if that's weird or not, but... I, I kind of just expect, like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, Crosby did some amazing play, let me guess. You know, it's it's not, like, um, uh, a big deal, big deal or anything. Also, I believe Crosby's now in the points, is in the Art Ross race. Oh, yeah, he is. He has he has the fourth, um, he's in fourth place in terms of points. Um, he has mm-hmm. 92 points. Um, and Patrick Kane, McDavid, and Kucherov all have more, all are the only three that have more points than him. Yeah, um, the unfortunate the part for Crosby is Kucherov is 117, and yep. he's probably going to get 130 this year. Something so. like that, yeah. 
he's still got quite a ways to go. Yeah. Um, modern day stat wise, uh, he's still helping the Penguins because as of March 14th this year, right. uh, found this stat the Pens at five on five without Crosby on the ice. 2,373 minutes, 87 goals for, 100 goals against. When Crosby's on the ice, the Penguins at 5 on 5 this year, 1,054 minutes, 75 goals for, just 35 goals against. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. crazy. Yeah, incredible stuff. Okay. Um, so, do you have anything about um, Ovechkin and Malkin? I do. Um, a quick note on Ovi, because uh, we've already alluded to how good he's been in a previous main topic. Mm. Um, but with 10 games left on Washington's schedule, NHL's Tom Galuti re- uh, tweeted this. Alex Ovechkin, with 48 goals, has a six-goal lead on Leon Dreisaitl, who has 11 games left to play in the Rocket Richard Trophy race. It would be Ovechkin's eighth time leading the NHL in goals, breaking a tie with Bobby Hall for most in NHL history. He is also the only player on pace to hit 50 goals. If Ovechkin is the only player to reach 50 goals this year, it would be the fifth time he's done that. He did it in 08-09, 2013-14, 2014-15, 2015-16. Bobby Hall was the NHL's sole 50-goal scorer four times. No one else has had more than one season as the NHL's sole 50-goal scorer. So again, in his 30s, Ovechkin, like Crosby, is still making history. Um, and he also recently tied Phil Esposito for the fifth-most career power play goals at the NHL level. Wow. Like, I, I was just taking a look at some of the stats, shots on goal in particular, amongst today's NHLers, and I consider 200 shots on goal to be pretty darn good. But I took a look back at Ovi's earlier years, and it's insane how much he was shooting the puck. He had at least 400 shots on goal in three of his first four NHL seasons. In 2008-2009, he had 528. 528 shots in one season, and his lowest total was 220. And that happened in the lockout year in which he played 48 games. Expected to hit 300-plus shots for a sixth straight year. On track to finish this year with the best single-season shooting percentage of his career as an NHLer. And my first thought when he hit 1,200 career points was, is he the best goal scorer at 1,200 points? The guy the guy scored 12, 1,203 points to date. And 655 are goals. How many 600-plus career goal scorers um, have hit 1,200 points while they've had over 600 goals? It's it's just absurd for me to even think about how good was how, how good Alex Ovechkin was to start his career, and and just how good he continues to be in his 30s. Like again, he wasn't as dominant from a shots perspective. Um, nowadays but he's still hitting like over 270 to 300 shots a year to do that in your 30s and be one of the league's best in that category is very hard to do right yeah it's I mean it's I mean you can say the same for Crosby and all that but yeah no it's you're right it's uh it's impressive how 
especially nowadays where like scoring i mean except for this year and last year but like scoring has been down for most of ovechkin's career and it's just impressive that he's able to continuously put up all these gold numbers and um all these points up at while like you know goaltending's getting better defense is getting better and all that stuff and he's still one of the best in the league and even nowadays like he's way in the lead for goals um when like uh when scoring has been up uh, more than usual so I, f- I find that that aspect of things um incredible it's like um you know we we were, we were really lucky as hockey fans to be watching ovechkin and crosby um at the same time Mm-hmm. Taking a look at, at Evgeny Malkin, because his is one of the more debatable milestones as to how significant it is. Um, I mean, it is a thousand points. That's literally a It is a, a thousand points, don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay. um, now, it is impressive for a lot of reasons. Uh, only five Russian-born players have been able to post at least a thousand points at the NHL level. He's one of them. Um, especially from a guy who was born in Magnitogorsk, uh, where he says probably a thousand kids play hockey. It, it's, it means a lot because you're representing your hometown where not a lot of hockey talent goes through that, that particular route to say you made the NHL, you got over a thousand points and you were the first in your town to do it. And only five other Russians have achieved this milestone. And only five other players have reached this milestone faster since 1987 in NHL history. And this guy was one of them. Definitely has the ability to inspire a lot of people in Magnitogors to maybe be the next Evgeny Malkin. And to put this into perspective as well, Brian Trottier is the only NHL player to win the Calder, Art Ross, Hart, Conn Smythe, and at least three cups, along with at least 1,000 points in the NHL. Wow. Malkin became the second person to do that. But I'm going to explain the other side, why others may go against it. And then I'll come back to why I think it's important. When you look at Malkin's 1,000 NHL points, Sydney set up Malkin 114 times and combined with Gino to set up 86 other goals. Um, it should also be noted Sid scored 103 goals thanks to an assist for Malkin. So 103 of 303 points that Crosby factored in while Evgeny was on the ice, on a list of 110 guys. So everyone's going to say, see, Sidney Crosby makes people around him better. You know, the the Malkin thing should come with an asterisk because he was playing with Sidney Crosby. Now, you look at someone like Patrick Kane on the Chicago Blackhawks, he's posted at least 280 shots on goal in each of the past four seasons. His lowest point total in one year during that stretch was 76 in 82 games. That was last year. This year, he has 41 goals, inching closer to a new career high for him. In either of those four years, Malkin didn't hit 250 shots, still able to score 42 times last season, and he got 98 points in 78 games as well. But I think one of the reasons people forget about Malkin is Patrick Kane was getting a lot of exposure on the top line, but Malkin has spent time on other lines with other players like Phil Kessel and James Neal while guys like Crosby are playing with Jake Gensel. So Malkin isn't getting as much exposure to scoring chances on the top line. 
he's one of the forgotten assets on the Penguins at times, like Phil Kessel. And when you look back on other super teams that, like Detroit in the 90s, when Fedorov was there, you know, Fedorov was a talented player, but I think a lot of people will say, well, Steve Eisman was the face of the franchise. Same thing with Forsberg in Colorado. Great player, but when you look at the face of the franchise, it's probably Joe Sackick. Yep. And even with the Lemieux era, Yager was a talented player, but when you need a big play, who do you turn to? You turn to the captain, Mario Lemieux. But I think it, Malkin's route to 1,000 points is spectacular when you consider his impact with the guys that he played. 2011-2012 is a prime example. On a line with James Neal and Chris Kunitz. James Neal had a 40-goal season with 81 points in just 80 games. 329 shots on goal. 18 goals and 30 points with the extra man. He still spent 50% of his time with the extra man without Crosby on his line. And he's had some de- and he's had some relatively decent years after that, but by far and away his best season came that year on the Kunitz and Malkin line. Speaking of Kunitz, he had 26 goals and 61 points, 230 shots on goal in 82 games that year with Malkin, one of his best NHL seasons. And Malkin in particular established a career high in goals with 50, game winners with nine, and shots on goal with 339. Yep. on top of the 59 assists and 109 points he accumulated. And it was also one of the seasons where Crosby was still recovering from concussion issues. He had 37 points that, that year, but he only played in 22 games. And it also brings me back to another key point. Whenever Crosby was hurt, Malkin was the main guy that rose to the occasion. I think the way Malkin has been able to adapt especially without Crosby on his line is what makes this accomplishment so special. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm actually, I'm looking here at the Penguins uh, leaderboard in terms of franchise history. I mean, it's no surprise that Mario Lemieux and Yamir Yager are also up here too, but um, it's just like crazy to, to me to say like, you know, cause we talk all the time about Malkin and he's always, it feels like he's just always overshadowed by Crosby. Um, just because, you know, Crosby has, is a better player, but you know, I, it's, it's just kind of like, uh, amazing to me that like the Pittsburgh Penguins as a franchise have these four, like, uh, have these four amazing talents, um, in 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 their in their organization or they drafted them at least i mean for yager's case you know he went on to go to other teams and whatnot but like we had you know like that's like you know some teams are lucky to get one of these generational guys but uh pittsburgh has four of them and you know around and they were all around the same time too so um it's impressive from that in that regard and also, yeah, you talked a bit about this before, but like when Crosby, Crosby used to be like injured a lot um, early on in his years, but then Malkin would always take over um, whenever Crosby didn't necessarily make it. But even when Crosby is healthy, Malkin's still one of the best players in the league. Um, unfortunately, he's not top 100 good, I guess, of all time, but... Um, 
He, uh, you know, he had 98 points last year. He's well on his way to be more than a point per game this year. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, he he's impressive as well. It's, but it's always he's always going to be overshadowed by Crosby, and he's always going to be overshadowed by his Russian counterpart in Ovechkin. Um, even in this milestone stuff, you know, because we we talked about Malkin third when we uh, and we talked about Crosby, his teammate, and Ovechkin, his Russian uh, friend, um, like just just before him. So yeah, there's that thing. Also, he's uh, Malkin is week to week. Um, uh, he just injured it last week, uh, last game, um, that we saw, but he, uh, yeah, so he's week to week, but at least he got the thousands point before he, uh, he got injured, but, it, mm-hmm. um, but there's that. I just wanted to point that out there. Yeah. He's also posted at least 70 points in all but three of his first yeah. 13 NHL seasons, which is incredible. And he, and he has over 70 again on the second line. So. Yeah. To do that is pretty special. Yeah, as well. for sure. And then uh, Carey Price, uh, he he becomes the three hundred. Uh, he becomes the three hundred. He becomes the winningest Habs goalie of all time, which is really impressive as well. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, do you have, do you have any more stats on him? Yeah, uh, big uh, and probably the more in-depth of the four that we mentioned because as you know the Habs have had a lot of good goalies yep. play for them um Ken Dryden, Jacques Plante and Patrick Waugh are the names that stick out to yep. me just really um, quickly here Jack Plante has uh, 314 wins Patrick Waugh has 289 wins and Ken Dryden has 258 wins uh, this is yeah. in Montreal Canadian history not like yeah. Patrick Waugh obviously has more wins than that but um, in in Montreal Canadiens as a Montreal Canadian. Yeah, it's important to note that uh, Patrick Waugh wasn't a hab for life, and it's quite fitting that ha- uh, that uh, Carey Price made history against a team that chased Patrick Waugh out of Montreal, the Detroit Red Wings. So I I found that pretty poetic, I guess. Um, when when I take a look at the road all four of these athletes got to where they are in Habs history. Uh, We'll start off with Ken Dryden here. He averaged 25.72 shots faced per game in his 397 NHL appearances, all with Montreal. Since Dryden's first game during the 1970-71 campaign, one goalie registered more wins until the day he stepped away from the NHL, and that was Tony Esposito. He had 273 wins. Dryden had 258 from 70-71 to 78-79. Ken's goals against average, however, was 2.24. His save percentage was 9.22. And none of the top 10 winningest goalies during this time period bested Dryden in either of those two categories. And it should also be noted that Ken did not play in 73-74, a year in which Tony Esposito posted 34 victories. So if you take away 73-74 and and go from 70-71 to 78-79, Dryden actually has more wins than Esposito. So I I take a look at someone like Ken Dryden, who had six straight 30-win seasons, a save percentage better than 924 times, a GAA below 2.3 on five occasions, and 46 shutouts. 
I look at that and I look at the 76, 77 Canadians and the team that they had, a team that won 60 games, a team that had Guy Lafleur, Steve Shutt, Ivan Cornier, Larry Robinson, Serge Savard. That's a super stacked Montreal Canadiens team. And this was around the time, of course, where the NHL had expanded, but it wasn't as big. So the odds of Montreal winning the Stanley Cup were tougher than the original six. But compared to today's NHL, we're still relatively good when you consider the roster that uh, they had to deal with. So Ken Dryden, while he was great in his own right, he definitely had a lot of good pieces alongside him that could help him win those games. And when you look at Jacques Plante's numbers, um, there were six goalies with at least 100 wins during his tenure with the Habs, which lasted from 52-53 to 62-63. And the next closest to Jacques Plante in wins was Terry Sawchuk. He had 269 shock, of course, 314, as Brett mentioned. And Jacques Plante, again, his goals against average was 2.22. He posted 58 shutouts. Only Sawchuk had more. He had 67. He averaged 24.54 shots faced per contest. And he surpassed 30 wins seven times with the organization. A GAA below 2.2 in his first for in his first five years as an established goalie with at least 50 games played per year. And in that five season stretch, he posted 39 of his 82 career shutouts. And like Ken Dryden, he played with a lot of good players, the rocket, the pocket rocket, Jean Beliveau, et cetera, all during that era. So Jacques Plante, again, great goalie, but had a lot of good pieces helping him win those games. And even Patrick Waugh, when you look at his numbers, he played alongside some very good players. He averaged 27.9 shots faced per contest. He recorded five 30-win seasons and posted 29 shutouts. GAA definitely higher because offense was at a premium then at 2.78. But still, when he was traded out of Montreal, 12 wins shy of 300. And he had a couple of stellar playoff runs. He won a Conn Smythe with the Canadians in 86 and 93, I believe. Definitely 93 when, uh, when the Habs weren't expected to do much in the playoffs. But even then, he played alongside a lot of good players. He played alongside Guy Carboneau, Chris Chelios, Claude Lemieux, Bob Ganey, Larry Robinson. And... I, I take a look at those three goaltenders and what they did, and I come to the conclusion that in Carey Price's road to Habs history, becoming the winningest goaltender in Habs history, he's had the toughest road out of all four. This guy has averaged almost 30 shots face per game in his first 615 NHL games. And yet, he still posted a GAA below 2.35 and a save percentage of 920 or better from 2013-14 to 2016-17, a span of four years, recording 18 of his 43 career shutouts in the process. It's ridiculous how good Carey Price has been. And 
how many close games the Habs have won because of Carey Price. And we have seen on more than one occasion how bad the Habs are when Carey Price is either playing hurt, hurt and can't play, or is not himself. When Carey Price is on his game, the Habs are a different team. And they are a better team with Carey Price. And we noticed that probably more than we did during the Plonge, Dryden, and Waugh years because we didn't really live through them, obviously. But just by the stats alone and the talent that is in today's NHL and how well-conditioned the players are, I think Carey Price's road to 315 wins out of all these stats is the most impressive just because of the team he's played in front of. He he's 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 been he's he's played through a lot of decent years, but he hasn't played on too many exceptional Habs teams. The Habs teams that he was a part of that were great were great because he was great. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like for uh, that is a good point. For like all these other pl- goalies that we talk about in the Montreal Canadian system, and like Jacques Plant and Patrick Waugh, or Dryden in Dryden case, or any of these guys, like they had a good team in front of them. But for Carey Price, that wasn't always the case, um, especially like these past couple of years. So um, although nowadays, you know, they have guys like Max Domi and uh, Jonathan Drouin. Um, who have definitely helped them out a bunch. But uh, even when uh, the Montreal Canadiens made that playoff push a couple of years ago, it was all because of Carey Price. And there's a reason why he won the Hart Trophy. There's a reason why he has multiple uh, Vezina trophies. So it's, oh, he doesn't have multiple. He has one Vezina trophy, but he even has like a Hart Trophy as well. Um, so it's... Um, I was trying to think if he had multiple or not, but I guess he only had, just looking here, I guess he has one. But yeah, no, it's it's impressive that he's uh, he's come back and he's bounced back more or less uh, this year. Although mm. he did give up eight goals against Anaheim a couple weeks ago, um, but mm. we'll let that pass because he's still uh, a very good goalie. Um, still, I mean, he's not as good as he used to be, um, and not earning his contract, but at the same time, I, I'm pretty sure the Canadians are happy with his performance this year um, compared to what he was last year where he was, like, mm-hmm. awful. So so I think, um, you know, he, he's definitely... I, I would say he's definitely in the Hall of Fame. Like, if guys like Henrik Lundqvist are in the Hall of Fame, I would say that Carey Price is, like, he's in that tier in terms of, like, legacy-wise. Uh, where yeah. I feel like both of those guys, like they may not win a cup, um, they may not uh, even get to another Stanley Cup final, but they are definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame, um, and and they're both considered like the best uh, goaltendings of their decade, um, yeah. just because of how uh, good they've been in their prime. Yeah, it's. It's also interesting because you mentioned Jonathan Drouin and Max Domi and, and even Max Pacioretty and, and yep. P.K. Subban. 
Galchenyuk. Um, the list of players that uh, Carey Price has played with uh, during his time in the NHL. Yep. I find a lot of those players are good, but also streaky. Yep. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I didn't notice until this week. Jonathan Drouin's gone pointless in 14 of his last 15 games. Yeah. Which is not, which is not spectacular at all. In fact, it's horrid. Right. And it's coming at the worst possible time for that Canadians. And that is where Carey Price is relied upon when the stars aren't scoring and they need someone to bail them out. It's always been Carey Price that has to answer the bell. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's always been like he's just been carrying them on his back. Like that seems to be the case for most most of the seasons for the past couple of years. That was a big reason why Montreal wasn't good last year was because Carey Price wasn't there to help him out because he was injured and he was, I think he, didn't he have like depression or something like that? Um, no, I don't, I don't think it was, it was anxiety or something. But that was a big, re- like, like the Montreal Canadiens success fully depends on Carey Price more than a lot of other teams where, I mean, obviously if you, if you have a good goalie, you have a good goalie. And if you have a bad goalie, you have a bad goalie, but um, it very does seem to like matter if if Carey Price is on his game, watch out. Um, and that's not uh, that's like a rarity for goalies where um, they have that special ability to change a game. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, he's he's a very good goalie. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, enough with uh, uh, t- complimenting Carey Price here. Um, clinches and eliminations. Um, so we're gonna do a new segment. Uh, this week because it's it's about every team has about 10 games left um i guess we could do a top three bottom three type thing but um but teams are starting to clinch and get eliminated at the same time so we figured we just um we talk about those clinching and eliminations in this little section here um that we called uh creatively called uh clinches and elimination um (laughs) And no yeah. one's done it before. No one's done it before, exactly. So uh, the Lightning clinch a playoff spot. Um, they, they haven't clinched an Eastern Conference or Atlantic Division yet, but uh, they're pretty close to doing that. Um, I imagine like the Bruins would have to lose a couple of games for the Lightning to clinch the Atlantic Division. I don't know what they would have to do f- to clinch an Eastern Conference bid, though. Um uh, and then we have um, the Flames are also in the playoffs officially um, as well. Um, yeah. And uh, and then lastly, uh, I was doing the math here. Um, although not um, the, it's not officially on the NHL.com website or Yahoo or ESPN, but um, when I was doing the math, I believe the Bruins and the Maple Leafs are in the playoffs, um, but it's not official yet um, because if Montreal, who is the the team that's um, just out of the playoffs, they're the they're the team the best team to not make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference currently. Um, they have seventy two games left, or they they have seventy two games played. They have eighty one points. Um, and that means that if uh, they have 10 games remaining, 
Uh, so that so then that means that they have at most 91 points. Um, in, in which case that even so so if the Maple Leafs or the Bruins lose uh, for the rest of the way because they also have 72 games played or 10 games remaining, um, they were they'd still be in uh, even if the Canadians win out. Um, and the Leafs or Bruins lose out. Uh, the Bruins have 95 points. The Maple Leafs have 91 points. So it's not official yet, which is getting me confused, but um, I'm pretty sure it's it's likely that those two teams are in the uh, playoffs. Um, also, the Sharks are likely in the playoffs, although it's not official yet, because I did the same thing uh, where I tried to see if, um, if they, uh, you know, I did the same thing with the Western Conference and the Wild are kind of in the Montreal Canadiens type posi position. Um, but the Sharks, uh, the Wild could have more points than the Sharks, but, um, but I, I believe the Sharks are still, they still have to win one more game, um, even still, uh, just because the Wild have nine games left um and if the wild win out and the sharks lose out they'd have um the sh the wild would um would beat the sharks by a point so the technically um it could happen where the sharks are out but it's like a one percent chance of that happening um so they, the Sharks so, just need to win. So we'll, we'll call these teams sure bets that will eventually yeah. clinch, but haven't clinched yet. But, Tampa and Calgary are the only yeah. ones that have officially, officially been acknowledged official. by the NHL as in the playoffs. But it's just confusing to me because it's like yeah, they, yeah. they're definitely in. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's like, whatever, fine. Um, eliminated, we can uh, for sure. These are officially eliminated. I can't uh, justify that they're not. Uh, Ottawa, Detroit, and New Jersey are all eliminated. Um, I'm sure the Kings are the next one to go because they have the least amount of points of every team that's technically not out of the playoffs. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll we'll keep you posted on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you yeah. have any thoughts so far? Uh, I mean, I know it's still... I mean, there's 10 games left, but... Um, I'm sure these are going to come by every now and then. Yeah, well, uh, definitely if you're Detroit and New Jersey, you can uh, start the lose for Hughes conversation because we all know yeah. Ottawa can't. Uh, and uh, speaking of highly touted draft prospects, uh, they there were some milestones hit there as well. Uh, Jack Hughes passed Clayton Keller for the most points by a player in the United States National Development Program. In two seasons, he has 190 points and counting. Uh, his teammate Cole Caulfield also passed Bill Kessel for most goals in the same program with his 105th tally in two seasons. And in Finland, Kapokako got his 22nd goal of the year, passing Alex Barkov's record for most goals in one year by a player under the age of 18 in the Liga. He also did it in 12 fewer games played. Yeah. No, they've both been very impressive. I think I was hearing reports that like some like some scouts are thinking that Kako should might go might be drafted first overall. 
Yeah, I Overdrug saw actually a draft ranking where he was listed higher than Jack Hughes. Yeah, which would be kind of interesting. I, I feel like it's because Jack Hughes is a center, um, and that's more highly regarded than a winger. But at the same time, I was seeing that Kako has been playing some games as a center as well. So um, maybe he could be first overall. It wouldn't be surprising. Um, yeah, even though Jack Hughes a- has been impressive as well. It's unfortunate uh, if he gets drafted by Colorado, if either one of them get drafted by Colorado, because while they do get to play alongside a lot of superstar talents, they're not getting any top line minutes anytime oh, soon. Because the top line of Ranton and Landeskog and McKinnon is so dynamic. They can't break them up. True. But at the same time, if you have like Kako or Hughes on the second line, that's much better than what they have now. Um, yeah, True. So. Uh, like depth, depth and forward is what Colorado really needs. So, um, so if they, if they get an elite talent like that on their team, then yeah, that definitely helps them. Um, all right. Uh, rapid fire. Uh, it's pretty short this week. Um, just because there wasn't really any notable injuries other than Malkin's week to week. Um, that seemed to be it, um, in terms of like notable guys who are injured um and that's going to affect the playoff race or anything so i i figured we're not going to talk about injuries um instead we have a couple of controversies here um morgan riley we'll start with morgan riley which turned out to not be a controversy at all uh because it's like morgan riley was getting the puck or the puck flew over to the maple leaf zone um, and Morgan Riley, uh, I guess he got mad at a hooking call that wasn't called. Um, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then it's, it, it appeared that he loudly said the, uh, F word. That's a gay slur. We're not going to say it, obviously. No, um, he, he said, he said the F word and then the other F word that is a gay slur. Oh, okay. I thought, he, yeah. I thought he just said the, the gay slur. F-word. No, no. Well, okay. he's, 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 he was definitely swearing at the ref. Okay. He was pissed at the ref. Right. But the debate was, did he say the F word? That's a slur that you're not supposed to say. Right, right, right. Um, and uh, and then uh, so then there was like some CSI, like Flint, Flint or this Twitter guy. Well, first off, uh, it turned out that Morgan Riley did not get suspended at all. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, Flintor, this uh, Twitter guy who's a Leafs fan, but um, he pulled out some convincing evidence. And I was actually listening to the clip. Um, apparently, he said uh, he's just ragged, which is, I guess, is a hockey term. Um, but he was uh, he was just pissed off at the refs, and he uh, but like he didn't actually say the. Gay slur is just a little bit of confusing. And then he also, Flintor, made a point about how, um, how like, if he actually did say it, the refs did not react at all. And that would be something that uh, refs would say, would definitely uh, suspend him for or put him in the box for or do something about if, if he did actually say that. Um, so... Um, so in that case, I think Morgan Riley is off the, off the case there. Um, but yeah, no, it it does. I mean, I guess it's good that this is how society is nowadays where we're, we're like the police on, um, 
on just in case he does say the gay slur. Because I, I, like a couple of years ago, or even like a decade ago, like people were saying this gay slur all the time now, it felt like. Um, and now it seems like people in this day and age, uh, uh, people are are more um, uh, sensitive sensitive to it. Yeah, I was trying to think of the right word to say, but um, so I think that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, it's not. It does. It did remind me of that Andrew Shaw situation a couple yeah. in the playoffs where he actually was caught on camera saying. That, that that's that exact gay slur and then he was suspended a, a game for that but a playoff game at that but um yeah yeah uh, for those of you by the way who have never heard the term reggae before and before this incident i didn't uh apparently ken dryden addressed it in his latest book uh so it's not a newer school term uh what the term rag means is to retain possession of the puck by skillfully skating and stick handling without attempting to score as a deliberate tactic intended to use up time. And Tampa Bay was on the penalty kill. Uh, Gord had time and space in the leaf zone. So it'd be wise to waste as much of it as possible. And it led to a short ending goal five seconds later. So whatever the term rag, it means it led to a, a Tampa Bay goal. So, um, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, playing house league hockey um, outside of the competitive level, I'd never heard of the term ragga before. So I guess I guess my mind was kind of play, playing tricks on me when I first heard it. Uh, so I thought, well, what else could it be? You know, right. he probably said the F word. And I think a lot of people were like that. And it wasn't until the NHL quickly close the case and and that, that brings me to another interesting point of of how the nhl and the Leafs addressed it i think the leafs were decision to cooperate fully in the investigation was definitely the right decision um i like how morgan riley and kyle dubas addressed the whole thing um and how they want to make it clear that while morgan riley didn't say the forbidden f word they used it as an opportunity to remind everyone how unacceptable language like that is and their stance on it. And it was, it was a, it was a good way to, to reiterate, um, their, their stance on the whole thing. And, and that's certainly a proactive approach that, that I applaud the least for doing. Um, of course, it's going to be interesting when someone actually does use the forbidden F word and how the NHL approaches that. But uh, for now, I think the NHL made the right decision when they uh, talked with the Leafs, uh, when they talked with the officials. And once everyone, every single one of them said, yeah, Riley didn't say that. Yeah. Especially the official who they also interviewed, Brad Meyer. Um, he said, yeah, he didn't say it. So when you hear it from the official, when you hear it from the player, when you hear it from a bunch of other sources saying the same thing, well, if it walks, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Yep. So, pro so they probably didn't say the forbidden effort. Um, at, at, at the same, at the same time, um, it, it's, it, it's, it's certainly one of those plays again, where it kind of tests our knee jerk reactions in society. 
uh, where, you know, people hear one thing or just like, oh my God, he said that word. We must social media crucify him or something like that. Um, and, and there were a lot of people that, myself included, that thought he had said the F word. And um, I think it was a good thing for the NHL to go through the motions and look at everything and review everything before jumping to any conclusions because if you jump to conclusions and the guy is innocent and he does nothing wrong, mm-hmm. who looks like the idiot now? Yep. So I'm I'm glad that the NHL didn't make fools of themselves and do something completely irrational. Yeah. When the evidence wasn't there to say he actually did something wrong. Yeah. No, that's a good point. It's um it is good that the NHL were careful with this and and fully making sure that he he did he didn't say it, um, and it did seem like both the player, the refs, um, everyone around him was saying like, oh no, he didn't actually say what you thought he said. So yeah, and, um, and just yeah. how quick they were to do it, like yeah. it didn't take them even ten hours. Yeah, like within a matter of an hour or two or three. When they heard of it, they said, we're aware of it, we're looking into it. And then the next day or two, they say, yeah, he didn't say it, case closed. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that, like, I I was guilty of it too, because when I first heard of it, I I didn't even watch the clip. Um, I was just (laughs) like, oh, okay, that's a little strange. You should be suspended for that. Like, if if Andrew Shaw got suspended one game for that, um, one playoff game, then like Riley's out for like two games or something. Um, and then, and then when I actually like watch the clip, I read Twitter some more on what Flintor was saying. And I was like, Oh, okay. He actually and didn't say it. All right. <laughs> when you hear the clip in slow motion, yeah, it's more clear. Exactly. And when you hear it with subtitles, yeah. when you see it with subtitles as well, the subtitles help a bit too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was one of those things. It's like, uh, remember Yanni and Yanni or something? It's like if you, yeah, Yanni yeah, and Laurel, yeah, yeah. If if you uh, if you look if you listen for it and pay attention to it, then you can understand it. Um, Jack Eichel um, got suspended two games uh, for uh, so Zadorov made a clean hard hit on Eichel. Eichel didn't like how it was called. Uh, he thought it should it was, be called. It was after the whistle. That's yeah. why he didn't like it. Right, right. It was after the whistle. Um, and then later on in the game, uh, he gets called for a hit on Soderberg. Um, and then, yeah, he, and Eichel was pissed. Um, and he uh, he was very uh, against the, the refs there. So he gets suspended for two games for that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else to say on that, but... Well, it, it it's he, he also said after the game, and, and he was pissed after the game, he says it seemed like they were taking runs at him a little bit, and yep. if he was going to be at the forefront of it, he would he might as well push back. But th- this wasn't those one of those plays where he gets provoked and he feels like he has to push back. What, what happens is he's going for the puck to try and put it back into the ab zone, and his elbow makes contact with Carl Soderberg's head. It, it's the bang bang play and and it, it's it's tough to like you know when your arm does one thing it's tough to kind of like pull it back last second when you're also trying to play the puck and not go into the boards awkwardly so 
I, I think Jack Eichel played it wrong. And I've seen other guys take a better angle to get the puck in that situation. To, to me, it just didn't look natural. It didn't look like a safe way to get the puck in your possession. And I don't think he had too much intention to intentionally hit Carl Soderberg. I don't think it was retribution at all. Um, he argued that there, the argument was maybe Soderberg puts himself into a vulnerable spot by also reaching for the puck at the same time as Eichel. And he just, and Eichel's elbow comes up and unfortunately gets him. But at the same time, um, it, it, it just like when it's when you clip someone with the high stick and they tell you you need to control your stick i i feel like jack eichel didn't control his elbow enough and it was it was a bang bang play where unfortunately soderberg gets the worst of it he makes contact with the head and we've seen in other instances in the Connor mcdavid on nick letty for example earlier in the season where you know even Though Connor McDavid isn't known as a dirty player, even though he isn't known for making plays like that, he still got suspended two games because he made contact with Laddie's head. Yeah. And if that's the way the NHL is going with, if have contact equals one to two games right away, even if it's unintentional, then they need to give that two games. And that's exactly what they did. They gave Jack Eichel two games. And I think over intent over anything else that happened in that play i think ultimately that's why he got two games is because he made contact with soderberg's head done end of sentence yeah i think that's pretty uh like a closed case kind of thing where it's like okay if he hits the head you're getting suspended two games hopefully they i feel like every now and then they don't get that like they don't keep it consistent but it does seem like if you hit the head, it's two games or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Voracek um, and Boychuk uh, had a bit of a beef with each other, um, and it it ended up with Voracek being suspended two games. Like I guess uh, Boychuk kind of threatened Voracek, and then Voracek um, hit Boychuk in a. Um, in an awkward position. No, no, it's it. Well, it's the other way around. Uh, the threat happened after Boychuk was hit. I see. And um, okay, never mind then. Um, and then uh, so, anyways, Voracek is suspended two games um, for for this threat. I guess it's to, just so that uh, they don't, as you were mentioning off air, um, that it's to avoid this Bertuzzi uh, more situation because. It does seem like Voracek and Boychuk are, it's getting pretty serious between those two. Um, and you just wanted, um, you know, they didn't want it to get escalate even further because um, it did seem like both of them were very angry at each other and it could have gotten much worse if, if, um, if not handled correctly. Yeah, so looking at the play, I watched it a few times. I, I saw after two or three times of watching it, that Voracek looks back for a second or two to see who's coming his way, and it was Boychuk. He doesn't focus on the puck when he makes the hit on Boychuk. He, he, he makes the hit with his back turned. And, of course, Boychuk isn't anticipating that Voracek is going to do this. So he's in a vulnerable position, and contact is made with Boychuk in the upper region near the head. And, again, if the if 
if the head area is tar- is targeted and if contact's made, boom, two games. Yep. Um, and I think it could have been more if there was history on Borchek's side, but never been suspended before, so that's probably why it wasn't more than two games. It was the same thing with uh, Jack Eichel, never been suspended before. Right. But again, it goes back to what Boychuk said afterwards. He said, I will get you to Voracek. Uh And Voracek said it was like he was, it was WrestleMania and he was like pointing at him. Yeah. And the key thing to note about this is these two teams are going at it this Saturday, March 23rd. So if the NHL stands by and gives Voracek nothing, then they have the potential of things getting really, really nasty. So the NHL has now suspended Voracek two games. Voracek has served the suspension. He's back in the Flyers lineup. I think the other thing they need to do, if they haven't already, is basically tell Wait. everyone on on both teams, hey, no monkey business. If you do anything bad, you deal with us. And what? both teams are in are battling for playoff positions, so they can't afford to have anyone get suspended. So uh, I think if they send the message that way, hopefully, hopefully nothing bad comes of it. For some reason, I guess it makes sense now that I think about it. But for some reason, I was thinking like Forchuk wasn't going to be was going to be suspended uh, when they play again on Saturday. But I guess it doesn't make sense that 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 way. Well, yeah, this I, happened I thought last I, week. I actually I actually thought um, off the air in an email chat with you, Brett. Um, yeah. I suggested what if the Flyers appeal the suspension just to delay it and. Uh, it, so that it goes until like about a week, 10 days later, they drop the appeal, have Voracek serve the suspension during the Islanders game, and he doesn't have to be on the ice to well, face I don't know. whatever I mean, he has. I think we can both agree that Voracek is more important to the Flyers than Voracek is to the Islanders. Exactly, so, yeah. So but, I think um, it's more just because Voracek is, is an important player for the Flyers. So yeah. that's probably well, why they didn't consp- do that. My conspiracy theory, of course, was... Um, uh, was uh, voided uh, when Bettman was quick to um, hear Voracek's appeal a few days after the appeal was sent. He upheld the suspension and it's since been served. Oh, so if there is any inside plan to uh, not play Voracek against the Islanders um, f- through the suspension, uh, it's gone now. So yeah. If they really fear, if they really fear that something could happen to Borchek, they would probably have to scratch him. Yep, um, and that's like unlikely to happen. Um, okay, uh, we do have some time left because uh, we don't have a ton of rapid fire items here, um, mm-hmm. which I guess is like a true rapid fire, or how it was supposed to go. Is rapid fire <laughs> supposed to be very quick? But um, it never actually happened. So yeah, I, it only took us two years to perfect it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, I do want to mention that Evander Kane's daughter of 26 weeks passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, this is very unfortunate news, and we wish um, Evander Kane and his family all the best um, in this hard time. Um, the weird thing about it is that Eric Carlson... Um, had his stillborn uh, last year. Um, first off, he's there, like, you know, now they're teammates. And also, it happened, li- like, you were saying that it happened about 
uh, like a month, a year ago, uh, to March, the day. March twenty. Yeah, it happened March twentieth, uh, twenty eighteen. So by the t- by the time uh, some people will be listening to this, yep. it'll be almost exactly a year to the day. So yep. almost exactly a year to the day that Carlson uh, lost his so- stillborn son. Um, Evander Kane's wife has a miscarriage, and uh, their their expecting daughter uh, is dead. Yeah, so it's it's very it's probably the worst thing that can happen to a human is having yeah. your having your son or your your infant your child being uh, die before you um, in any way. So yeah, um, because you know of the emotion, you know yeah. that you realize you're gonna be you're you're gonna be parents, and then, then before the baby's even yet. born, it's quickly taken away so, from you and it just yeah. goes from happiness to sheer heartbreak and yeah. as hockey players in the heat of battle you may get into a skirmish and tensions may rise but regardless of what happens on the ice you know it's important to remember that these athletes are just like us you know they have yep. lives they have friends they have families to get home to and at any time it's you hear news like roses. this it's, it's absolutely gut-wrenching and yep. um it's important to be there for them during times like these because if it was you in that situation you would hope they would do the same for you when you yep. needed support so Good our thing. thoughts are with our thoughts are with Evander Kane and his family yeah I can't even imagine how tough a time it is for them right now good thing Mike Hoffman's not in the team on the team um <laughs> yeah. uh I shouldn't have said that uh yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it, it's a touchy uh, it's still a touchy yeah, subject yes yeah, too soon. Too soon. All right. <laughs> too, oh. soon <laughs> too soon. On so many levels. Okay. Yeah. Bruin sends. Uh, you're going first. Yeah. Speaking of uh, sends news. Um. By the way, did you hear uh, the the Sharks' uh, short tribute to Mike Hoffman oh, when yeah, yeah. Florida was in town? That was. No, that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Hoffman actually took a picture of the sign. He took. I should have said so. that instead. <laughs> yeah, that would have been yeah, a that would, that would have been, been a better uh, better dark dark, dark right. topic into a lighter. Segment. If you're yeah. if you're into dark humor, you would have liked that what I said there. But other than yeah. that, all right, just forget de- what de- I said. Depending <laughs> on what kind of a person you are, you would have found that yeah, funny, yeah. Or maybe. But or no, maybe I did I did see, and apparently Mike Hoffman wants that a uh, banner, uh, for himself because he thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, Mike, Ho- Mike Hoffman has had a challenging year in other ways. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, He's had his uh, moments, so. though. Yeah. Getting back to the team that Mike Hoffman first played for, um, the Sens did a good job of starting off well against Philadelphia on money. Chris, uh, Chris Tierney gets his eighth of the year from Harper and Balsers, 948 in the opening frame. Chris Tierney, of course, a former San Jose Shark, not involved in the Mike Hoffman trade. He was involved in the Carlson one. Yep. Uh, so the Sens have a lead to work with heading into the second. Of course, I don't well, expect that to last. Balsers was involved in the Hoffman trade, wasn't he? Oh, no, no. Uh, uh, Hoffman no, was... Carlson as well, yeah. Oh, okay. Hoffman was only... Right, it was only for a pick, right? Anyway. Yeah, I was, it was uh, Bodker. Bodker was oh, Bodker, yeah, yeah. Trade. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> Yeah, so I guess two former Sharks uh, factored into that yeah. uh, first goal. Uh, the Flyers then use a combination of skill and good luck to turn the tie. They have a 3-1 lead heading into the third. The Sens at this point outshot 25-11 to 11 through 40 minutes. Um, kind of like what every Sens fan expects. It's just like, 
Give it your best effort, boys, and hope for the best. Um, So I guess 3-1 lead hanging into the third is not so bad. Uh, Shots are even at 11 in uh, the final frame, and uh, Philip Schlappix gets his first of the year to make the score 3-2, so the Sens have a chance to tie it late. Um, We've seen this rodeo before enough to know that they're not going to tie it, and they don't. They lose 3-2. So they go back home to face Jake Allen in the St. Louis Blues, where Anders Nielsen gets the start ahead of Craig Anderson, who started the Philly game. Anderson, uh, I don't want to say that he's bad now, but I think that start in the first half where he was being used almost every game and the backup goaltending wasn't there uh, has caught up with him. And even though he hasn't played as much, I think uh, the wear and tear has started to get to him. And Isn't he like 40 he, he now? He hasn't looked like himself. Like, he, he hasn't he, – he's he's been okay, but he hasn't mm-hmm. been Craig Anderson cool. dominant. And I think the fact that they have such a young defense, that also hinders his ability uh, to get results. Sure. But he's lost 12 straight decisions. Yeah. They've gotten some results with was- Anders Nielsen and – uh, late in the season, I think they're going to play Andrews Nielsen more simply because if Dorian says uh, they're going to win some games, um, I think Nielsen is, is more equipped to do that. For for whatever reason, uh, he gives the Sens a better chance to win than Anderson right now, uh, including this game against St. Louis where the Sens get outshot 13-5 to in the opening 20, but no goals are scored from either team. Christian Molainen opens the scoring with his fourth of the year at 13-27 of the second. So Ottawa, again, has a lead to work with. And uh, in this middle frame, Ottawa actually outshot St. Louis 13-8. to So they have a lead heading into the final frame. Uh, they only get three shots on goal from there. The Blues get 14 more in the final 20 minutes. Instead of blowing the lead, the Sens actually win for a change as Tierney gets an empty net goal. Ottawa with the 2-0 win. Nielsen, the first goalie in Sens history to record a shutout against the Blues. Um, And then they go to Toronto against a pissed-off Leafs team that had a very rough week. But I would call that a mediocre week in comparison to the rough year that Ottawa's gone through. Um, nevertheless, probably the biggest adversity they've had to face. It's in Ottawa, so you're thinking, oh, you know, the Sens fans are going to make some noise. Um, but I should also remind people who haven't been to a Sens game when the Leafs are in town, it's a sea of freaking blue invading the Canadian Tire Center every time the Leafs and Sens play. Even when the Sens are good, it's always been like that. So even less Sens fans this time around, the blue wave would be even bigger than previous affairs. So my hope was, imagine if the Sens just shut that blue wave up and make them green in the face and actually pull off an upset win. And in the first five minutes, they're actually doing it. They get the first goal. The shots are eight to one before the game is even five minutes old in favor of the Sens. We get to the end of the second. It's now 4-1 Ottawa in the lead. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just beside myself thinking, are they actually going to beat the Leafs right now? Then John Tavares scores in the third. I'm thinking, okay, here comes the Leafs comeback. This is where they're going to win. And then the Sens get two more goals to make it 6-2. I'm just like, the Leafs are going to lose to the freaking Senators. Yep. And they deserve to be pointed and laughed at. 
Yep. Like a team that is dead last in the league, a team that's identity at the start of the year is basically we're a team. Yeah. That team got over 40 shots on goal against the least backup, Garrett Sparks. They get six goals past him, and the goal scorers are Cody Cece, Brian Gibbons, Magnus Pyarby twice, Anthony Duclair, and Oscar Lindbergh. And you guys who didn't are not who are not top line players. And you guys didn't even have Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, either. Thomas Shabbat's week to week with a broken toe. Colin White has a neck injury; he's out indefinitely. Yep. Even with Borvietsky and Yaros on the back yep. end, they're even less good. And they still beat the Leafs six to two. Yeah. Like, I don't care how bad the Sens do from here on out. That's their biggest win of the season. Yeah. It was funny. I I was because I was watching the Bruins game, um, at the same time that this was happening, and I saw like the Leafs were wearing this like green jersey because it was uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I actually dig the uniforms. They're not bad. Well, the thing is, is for me, it was more like a psychological thing because I'm so used to the Maple Leafs wearing blue. Um, and I was just like, why are they wearing green? And it's like, it's St. Patrick's Day. And then I was just, it was so confusing. But I I feel like there is some psychological thing where it's like, we're, we're, we're wearing green and, you know, it's not their actual colors. So... I just felt it felt off because of that, but yeah, no, th- this is there's no excuse for the Maple Leafs in losing this game. But you guys have had a good week this week with also shutting out the Blues um, mm-hmm. on Thursday. Yeah, probably one of the better weeks that Ottawa's yep. had this year. Honestly, just those two, you know, the best two games that you can have back to back. Yeah, like and 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 all of them were against teams that were were. They're both playoff They're fighting teams for too. a playoff position. They were, yeah. they were, for for the least, it's to to somehow catch up with Boston. For Philly, it's try to make the playoffs. For St. Louis, trying to make the playoffs. Right. Well, you and guys lost to Philly, but yeah. but yeah. But yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those weeks. Every every single week, I I'm hoping for the best, but expecting the worst, and expecting the Sens to lose pretty much every single game from here on out. But oh yeah. But they're actually they're actually gaining momentum now. They're actually making progress for yeah. a change, and it's and it's nice to see. It, it would be nice if if Ottawa didn't finish last and give Colorado the best odds. Right. I, I, I thought that was an almost slam dunk, but but with Detroit struggling and Ottawa doing well, I'm just thinking maybe the Sens don't finish last, which. I, again, I still expect to happen, but it'd be nice if they yeah, didn't. It'd be nice. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see how their odds hold up as they head to Western Canada. Though they have a three-game road trip uh, to Western Canada, they do it every year. Um, they got a couple of days off to prepare for Vancouver on Wednesday. They go to Calgary for a Thursday night game, and then Saturday afternoon it wraps up in Edmonton against an Oilers team that is fighting for their playoff lives right now. And uh, other than Ottawa, are probably the laughing stock of the league. Uh, off the ice, as mentioned, Shabbat is week to week with a broken toe. Colin White out indefinitely dealing with a neck injury. Um, Max Verano, positive news though. He signed a two-year entry-level contract as a college free agent. Uh, also, he had a goal, Ottawa. right? Didn't he? He got a point, right? Uh, he got a point in the Leafs game, and he led the Sens in shots with five in his debut against yeah. St. Louis. So he he's had a pretty good week. Um, he played uh, some junior A hockey with, in Ottawa with the Gloucester Rangers of the CCHL before going to Princeton. Um, 
where he played well and uh, found his way onto an NHL roster. Uh, another new guy that you've probably heard of before, Eric Brandstrom, acquired in the Mark Stone trade. He also made his sense debut against St. Louis, played under 18 minutes, and uh, had a plus-one rating, which, um, as you know, has been very, very rare for a senator to do uh, this year. They've usually all been minus affairs, but uh, one positive there. Um, and there was also a, a positive news off the ice, um, not involving the Sens, but something I wanted to mention. Uh, it involves Blues forward Ryan O'Reilly. He made a very neat gesture to a minor hockey team by inviting them to the Sens-Blues game uh, Thursday. And uh, the NHL wrote an article about it, and I'm going to read some of it for you. So it's about the First Nation Elite's Bantam AAA hockey team. They faced hurtful comments and chants from opposing players, coaches, fans, and even the referees who they believe called the tournament games unfairly. This was uh, back in a tournament last May in Quebec. And uh, Bonnie O'Reilly, Ryan O'Reilly's mom, read the story, uh, called Ryan up to share it with him. So her and Ryan came up with a plan to invite the entire team, which is 13 to 15 year old players from Northern Quebec and Eastern Ontario. They invite them to Thursday's game between the Blues and Sens at the Canadian Tire Center. And these players were traveling to Ottawa from all over Canada and then drive nearly 16 hours to Ottawa where they will then attend the morning skate where they will meet Ryan O'Reilly and some of his teammates before the game and then take in the game itself. And um, they they also went out on uh, a lunch date with uh, Bonnie O'Reilly and her husband, Brian. Um, and then they watched uh, the game, like I said, from uh, lower bowl seats. And uh, the guy who purchased tickets for the team was Ryan O'Reilly. He purchased 35 of them uh, and also made enough room for each player to bring a parent to the game. Uh, and, and here's why this is important, because the coach of the team said he knew of a player five or six years ago who faced racism in a game and just dropped everything. He was done with hockey. He quit on the spot. Such a good player, quit everything, went back home, didn't want to deal with it, and he turned to alcohol and drugs. So it, it just goes to show you how much words can hurt and why... We should always strive to be better humans on and off the ice. You want to see moments where people stand up and do something good. But I would much rather see it happen out of pure goodness and not because someone did something bad first. Yeah. And uh, it, it, classy move by Ryan O'Reilly. Good on him. Yeah, that is good. Uh, now, uh, before we get to your Bruins, wanted to mention uh, the Ottawa hockey team that is actually doing good right now. That would be the OHL's Ottawa 67s. Uh, the playoffs begin this week in the OHL. The 67s are the number one ranked team in the league. Yes, they're even better than the London Knights. Um, recorded 50 wins and 106 points in the regular season, both franchise records. Ty Feliber finished the year with 59 goals and 106 points. Um, outstanding one-two punch and goal featuring Mikey DiPietro and Cedric Andre. They have seven players that have either been drafted or signed by an NHL team with Ty Feliber and Kevin Ball recently signing contracts. Uh, their opponent in round one will be the Hamilton Bulldogs, a team that actually beat them in the opening round last year and went on to represent the OHL at the Memorial Cup. 
2018. Uh, that team has changed a lot, though, as most of their assets have gone elsewhere. But they saw some good talent in Matthew Stroman, Arthur Kaliev. Um, so it should be a pretty good matchup. Game one happens Friday, game two on Sunday, both games at TD Place. And I will be going to game two on Sunday. Should be a pretty fun series. Yeah. At least you have something to root for. Yeah. Um, no kidding. The, uh, so uh, the Bruins, uh, we're going to start with the Bruins and Penguins. Uh, this this game happened while we were recording, so I didn't see a ton of it, but um, I will say who scored and stuff. Uh, I think it was, was it 2-1 to one Pittsburgh by the time we ended the show? It I was 3-1 to one Pittsburgh. Oh, it was 3-1, okay. Yeah, because I was watching, I went off after the third period. Uh, okay. But yeah, Bukestad, Jared McCann um, gets two goals for Pe- Penguins, but I didn't see those goals. Uh, Krejci scores... Um, in the second period, um, and then uh, Jake Gensel gets a goal in the second period. I did see the Jake Gensel goal. Um, and then in the third period, we have John Moore uh, to make things 3-2, and then Jeremy McCann gets this empty net goal. I believe Jeremy McCann's on the first line there, um, so that's probably why he was... Uh, Crosby makes every, every player better. Um, yeah. So... Uh, that's a big reason why Jeremy McCann was able to do that. Um, I, I will give credit to Jeremy McCann, though. That first goal he scored to make it 2 nothing was top-notch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember there was a funny tweet about like how uh, Crosby isn't that good. He just makes every player around him better. <laughs> or something like that. Is it, doesn't yeah. that mean he's good though? Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It was like a joke tweet, but it was it was like a funny tweet. Like, like he, uh, he's not that good. He like it's his line mates that make him better. It's just like eh. <laughs> that's the joke. Yeah, yeah, because you know you would say the same for like uh like if you were talking about Jared McCann, you know, because it's like obviously that Crosby is making him better, but it's uh it's funny. Anyways. Uh, then we have, uh, this is a game that I would like to forget, but, uh, the, the Colum- the Bruins played Columbus on Tuesday. Um, this was an interesting game. Uh, it seemed like the, the Blue Jackets really got going. It seemed like they're like, they finally figured things out. Uh, Br- Br- Patrice Bergeron gets things started though. Uh, he gets a shorthanded goal. Um, and then uh, Columbus gets five unanswered goals. Uh, Josh Anderson, Ryan Dezingle, Boone Jenner, Matthew Shane, and then Boone Jenner again. Um, also in that way, uh, Charlie McAvoy and Artemi Panarin get in a fight um, in the second period. Um, it was It's kind of interesting because like, you know, Panarin's not really a fighter. McAvoy does fight occasionally, but of course he's you know he's more known as the hitter, the hard hitter, um, and blocker um, on the team. But it's uh, it was like a weird fight to have. Um, I, I get I guess Charlie McAvoy won that fight, and that's a good trade off. Uh, I mean, obviously you want to have McAvoy, Obviously McAvoy's a good player, but not near where Panarin is. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was an interesting fight for sure, um, especially since I'm hoping the Bruins sign Panarin in the off season. So we'll see. But 
Um, <laughs> maybe maybe this means this is like a tryout for the, for him. Um, in the Bruins lineup. We'll see them. Um, anyways, Brad Marchand, Chris Wagner, and Brad Marchand scores to make it five four. So I was like, oh, we're actually in it. And it would be brutal if Columbus lost this game and, like, you know, we come back from 5-1. to one. This would be amazing if we could actually pull this off. Doesn't actually happen that way. Uh, in the third period, Zach Wierenski scores, and then Boone Jenner gets a hat trick or an, an, as an empty netter. Um, so it ended up being 7-4. to four. I do love the fight that the Bruins had, but this is a, definitely a game that, um, I want the Bruins to forget, um, or I want to forget, uh, Rast did not look good. Um, he had, uh, 20, he had 24 shots and only allowed five goals. Uh, Halleck was in net for 10, 10 shots, um, and only gave up one goal. So it's around that time where Rask is, maybe he's getting a little bit more fatigued and we're going to have to rely a little bit more on, uh, Halak, but we'll see um, if if that you know what's gonna happen down the stretch. But it seems like uh, Halak, um, we should give Halak more starts towards the end of this because it seems like we're kind of in the playoffs. I would like to keep it. Uh, I would like to get the second uh, playoff spot in the Atlantic, uh, just so I have we have home advantage against the. Um, the Leafs, but um, I don't know. I feel like uh, it would make sense to r at least rest Rask more often, just so that he is ready come playoff time. Um, then on Thursday, the Bruins played the Winnipeg Jets. Um, this was uh, this was a weird game too, because both teams had their moments. Um, Blake Wheeler scores, and then Shifley scores to make it 2-0. Uh, then Charlie McAvoy, it seems like he's shooting a lot more than he usually does. He's been on this onslaught here. So he get, he gets a goal. Um, and then in the second period, um, we uh, Joe Kim Nordstrom scores in a long time. Uh, first time in a long time. I think he hasn't scored like this was his sixth goal, but he hasn't like scored since like November. I remember Nesson was saying something like how uh, crazy, like how cold he was. But uh, so it was good to see him on the board. Um, I mean, obviously, deaf players don't score a ton, but um, you know, you do want to get at least a couple goals every now and then. Um, then in the third period, we get goals from Jacob Truba and Nikolai Ehlers to make it four two. Um, this was when the game was kind of over, but Char Charlie Coyle gets his first goal as a Bruin. So there was that, so that was nice to see, but, um, of course, uh, it's not great. Um, yeah, uh, Rask and Hellebuck, uh, they look good at, in, in sparks, but, um, weren't great either at the same time. Uh, this, uh, then the Bruins played the Blue Jackets again on Saturday. Um... Jake DeBrusque was back, uh, which was nice to see. And um, it was also Irish night um, in, in, uh, in the garden. So there was a special uh, puck drop who was uh, Connor McGregor. Um, I almost said Connor McDavid there. <laughs> but um, that would be kind of funny if Connor McDavid 
did the puck drop. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Connor Connor McGregor was there, and he also gave like a a pep talk to the Bruins locker room, and he actually stayed for the entire entire game. So that was, I mean, I know Connor McGregor has like this like uh, I think didn't he get like a he almost got arrested this week, but um, yeah. it was. And he was in. I, I was seeing that he was in Chicago that morning, so he flew all the way to Boston just to do the puck drop. Apparently, this was his first live hockey game too to watch. So it was it was a good game to watch. Um, if that was his first hockey game to see. Um, so uh, there's that. Uh, things start off with Patrice Bergeron getting a power play goal, um, and then uh, Matt Duchesne ties things up one one. Then uh, there was no goals in the second or third period. Um, and then Brad Marchand gets the overtime goal. And because Conor McGregor was in the uh, building, uh, Marchand did a Conor McGregor type celebration. Uh, I forget what it's called, but he did like he used his like uh, when Conor McGregor wins a fight, he like has this like little like he moves his arms in a certain way and his torso in a certain way. Um, and Brad Marchand did the same thing. So it was a kind of a cool little appreciation for McGregor being there. Um, Halleck had a, had a phenomenal performance um, there. We didn't get to, I guess we didn't face uh, Bobrovsky uh, like we did on, on uh, Tuesday, but um, it was something like Corpusalo played instead, but he also looked good. Um, so it was very much a goalie uh, duel there. Um, and Jake DeBrus returned as well, so I should mention that. Um, this week, uh, they play the Islanders on Tuesday. So when you listen to this, they're playing tonight. Um, they play the Devils on Thursday, and then they play the Panthers on Saturday. Um, yep, yeah, uh, it, it was a rough week. Um, we were playing uh, four, three very good teams. Um, and we lost three of the four, so, um, I mean, I'll take it, I guess, but, um, I just hope that we, we become ready, come playoff time, um, it's time to, like, actually get things in gear, um, and all that stuff, so, yeah, uh, that's about it for the Bruins. Oh, and Bergeron gets his 800th point, um, of the year and Rask has uh, that Colum- the first Columbus game Rask had his first regulation loss in the new year which is impressive because it's March it was like in March um, so um, it was March 12th um, when he yeah. finally got his first regulation loss um, so yeah that's impressive um, and all that stuff so what's what's also impressive about the Bergeron thing is only six Bruins players, including him, have recorded 800 points with the Bruins. So to to be on an exclusive group like that is pretty special. Um, as for the Bruins' struggles, the good news for them is the Leafs also struggled at the same time. So uh, any ground that uh, the Leafs could have gained, they quickly threw away. So um, I guess they kind of struggled at the perfect time. But uh, now they just need to get on a roll and uh, secure home ice advantage because they're probably, like we've said many times on this show before, are destined to face Toronto in the first round. Uh, yeah, 
I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's what everyone's looking forward to is that it's that matchup. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm it, it, sorry. Go. It's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Ottawa, Toronto in the late nineties, early two thousands, yep. where regardless of where they finished, they would always meet up. In yeah. The playoffs. And always in round one, too. Yeah, it's interesting because I... Well, I mean, this time it's just the way that the playoffs are set up. It's where, like, the the, the division team... Like, you play your division first. Um, right. So it, it's always going to be a thing. But, yeah, um, you know, it does seem like the Bruins are Toronto's kryptonite. But at, as a Red Sox fan, I know... Um, that it's not like it's not always the case you know because for years the yankees had the red sox number in the playoffs and in the regular season but then you know 2004 happened so anything can happen in um in the playoffs um so same, i don't want to take you it could for say it was the same thing with caps pens last yeah, year where the that's cap true that's another good pens. example yeah yeah that's another good example um so yeah, uh, Twitter is. Um, although I guess the difference here is that whoever wins the Bruins, uh, the Bruins Leafs series will end up playing the Lightning in the yeah. next round. So it's not like you're you're gonna be playing uh, a terrible team afterwards. So um, it's not really the same because I feel like the Lightning are gonna beat both teams anyway. Um, whoever comes out. Um, the, uh, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, we usually tweet every week. We're now on Spotify. Um, we're also on SoundCloud and iTunes. So subscribe and follow us there. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 164 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.